Our democracy itself is in the crosshairs. Hey, thanks for noticing. DHS Secretary Kirsten Nielsen. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's why. I got the feeling that something ain't right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. It's a little scared. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yep. Yes, I'm stuck in the From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA. Up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ and in Cottage Grove on Queso. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU. Columbus, Ohio's WGRN. I'm going to be talking to you people today in Columbus, so pay attention. Palinville, New York's WLPP, Grand Rapids, Michigan's WPRR, New Orleans, WHIV, Gallup, New Mexico's KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ, KODX in Seattle, Washington, KFOI in Red Bluff and Redding, California, KKRN in Round Mountain, California, and in Minneapolis, St. Paul on AM 950 KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day for your listening convenience on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR, Revolution 99, Workforce Rising, and Detour Talk, Blanketing Planet Earth, five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman. Your very friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, all-around swell fellow, says me, from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today. Uh, I also, in advance, want to thank Desi Doyen for joining us today for the Green News Report, which returns a little bit later. Oh, indeedy. Got got a bang buster for yes, you. Yes, <laughs> we do. Uh, another blistering GNR. In, uh, as a matter of fact, uh, 2017 shattered another global heat record, which um, <clears throat> is maybe news to nobody at this point, uh, other than the fact that 2018 looks like it could be as hot or hotter. But we will have uh, news on that and some good news, believe it or not, from the Supreme Court in the GNR coming up a little bit later. There is some good news. Yes, there is. is. Yes, there is. It's not all dark and terrible. Uh, Here's some uh, potentially good news. Voters in Tennessee are hopefully... Heading to the polls as we go to air today. Yes, the state is holding their primary on a Thursday for some reason. That could be one of the reasons why Tennessee has, I believe, the lowest voter turnout in the nation. Congratulations on that, Tennessee. Let's hope that changes. Um, We will have any uh, noteworthy results or problem reports uh, no doubt on tomorrow's broadcast, but I should note that the uh, m- much of the state runs on 100% unverifiable touchscreen systems. So whatever those results are, those results are likely to stay as is. Um, in early voting, Democrats have shown a bit more enthusiasm, we are told, than Republicans. So that could be good news regarding our ongoing national emergency. 
That could be, however, uh, uh, sort of uh, countered by the fact that a few weeks ago, and I had been trying to get to this story in some detail, hadn't been able to, but naturalized citizens in the state of Tennessee were finding that they had been removed from the rolls for some odd reason. So um, hopefully that problem has been corrected. Hopefully uh, folks who, uh, you know, years ago became citizens and uh, registered to vote in the state of Tennessee and had voted successfully. Hopefully those folks will still be able to vote today as well. We'll find out uh, in our next thrilling broadcast. Also, next Tuesday, we have another big 2018 midterm primary day with primaries in Kansas. Oh, hello, Chris Kobach. You say you want to be governor, do you? All right. That's next Tuesday as he runs... Uh, along with a lot of other folks uh, in the primaries out there in Kansas. And as Secretary of State, he is overseeing his own election. Is that correct? That's correct. So it should go very well for him. Uh, Also, the primaries in Michigan uh, next Tuesday in my old home state of Missouri. Please, hey, by the way, Missourians, please vote on hand-marked paper ballots. You should have the choice to do so, even though many of you, for example, in St. Louis County, will be pointed towards those 100% unverifiable touchscreen voting systems. You don't have to use them. You can choose to vote on paper instead on Election Day at the polls. Uh, in Missouri, at least in um, at least in St. Louis County. Uh, also uh, in uh, Washington State, there will be a primary, though that is mostly uh, vote by mail up there. And so already underway. And in Ohio, there is the last big special U.S. House general election of the year. This is a special election for the U.S. House. The last one of the year to uh, fill a a currently vacant seat. And it's in a very Republican area. However, the uh, final significant special election before the 2018 midterms is coming down to the wire. Cam Joseph reports over at TPM. Republican Troy Balderson leads Democratic Danny uh, Democrat Danny O'Connor by a statistically insignificant one point, 44% to 43%, according to a new poll conducted by Monmouth University this week. That represents a nine-point swing towards the Democrat O'Connor since the university last polled that race just one month ago. Nine points in one month. Joseph notes those numbers are also in line with other recent public and private polling that has uh, found a close race in the uh, in the home stretch there in a suburban and exurban district centered on Columbus, Ohio, where President Trump carried uh, that area by about 11 points in 2016. It has long been held by Republicans, but that could be about to change. Columbus. The broadcast is on the air in Columbus on W on the great W uh, GRN 94.1 FM. So, okay, looks like we have to talk Columbus. Hope you're listening. Uh, Are are you guys ready to vote next week? Have you already uh, done so? Have you already early voting? According to the new poll from Monmouth out just yesterday, this could be a very big election. According to Monmouth, the race to fill the open seat in Ohio's 12th congressional district has shifted from a Republican advantage last month to a toss-up right now. 
They note that different voter models suggest that the race could go either way at this point. All of the different voter models that they use. I'll talk about that in a second. But the underlying GOP lean of this district benefits Republican State Senator Troy Balderson. However, an increase in Democratic enthusiasm and a shift in independent voter preferences have boosted the standing of Franklin County recorder Danny O'Connor, the Democrat. In the special election to be held next Tuesday, Balderson, the Republican, has 44 percent support. O'Connor, the Democrat, has 43 percent support among all potential voters. So, uh, as Cam Joseph said, that is statistically insignificant as far as that one point difference that is all within the uh, all within the mar margin of errors that 44 43 uh, uh, number is um, in the model that includes voters who have participated in any election since 2010 or have newly registered to vote now there's also another candidate Joe Manchik the Green Party candidate he got nearly four percent of the vote two years ago running in this same race. He earns just 2% right now and a relatively large 11% remain undecided in this race. So a little over a month ago, the Republican Balderson had a 43 to 33% advantage. That's a 10-point advantage among all potential voters. That is now down to one single point, which is obviously within the margin of error, and yet, and then you have 11 percent of you in Columbus who have not yet decided who to vote for. So let me talk to my Green Party friends in Columbus uh, for a second, if you don't mind listening on uh, WGRN. I love you guys. But uh, even if every undecided voter went uh, and voted green next week, all 11 percent who are currently undecided, if every single one of them decided to vote for the Green Party candidate, you would still fall short of winning by about 30 points. So now I don't know much, I got to admit, about any of the candidates in this race, to be frank, uh, about the uh, Republican, the Democrat or the Green Party guy. But I do know that this country is in the midst of a national emergency. And the only way to put the brakes on that emergency right now, right now anyway, maybe this will change later, but for now, for the next few months, is to remove the GOP majority from one or both houses of Congress this year. Now, I'm not partisan in these races when it comes to uh, covering elections and election integrity, and I will fight like hell right now. Uh, for the right for uh, for your vote, be you a uh, Republican, a Democrat, a Green, I will fight to make sure that your vote is counted as cast in as much as I can. But as I've discussed uh, in the past, uh, beyond primary fights, of which there are still many to go this year before we uh, before we get to the general election in November, uh, as I've discussed, the only way to end this national emergency right now is to take away GOP control. And the only way to do that right now is with Democrats or independents or Greens who will caucus with the Democrats. But I'm afraid uh, Green Party candidate Joe Manchik, Manchik in the 12th district in Columbus, Ohio, is not in a place to... To have a victory in next week's general election, the special election on Tuesday. 
But the Democrat could very well win that race, at least if all of you within the sound of my voice uh, out there in Ohio actually turn out. Now, uh, Monmouth also looked at the race using three uh, possible turnout models, three different turnout models, since nobody really knows <laughs> what this year is going to look like. Uh, a standard model that looks like a typical midterm voter pool shows the race basically tied at 46 percent for the Republican Balderson, 45 percent for O'Connor. Last month, that same model gave the Republican a sizable 48 to 39. That's a nine point advantage just last month. Balderson uh, benefits more. Monmouth reports under a low turnout model where only the most reliable voters show up. In that case, he holds uh, a uh, the Republican holds a five point advantage over O'Connor. That same low turnout model gave the Republican a much healthier 15 point lead just one month ago. So this race is tightening no matter how you slice it. And it's not being much discussed uh, and the poll, uh, and in the uh, Monmouth polls, Democratic surge model, which is akin to turnout patterns that they have seen in uh, some of the special elections, some but not all of the special elections held since 2017. In the Democratic surge model, O'Connor, the Democrat, has a one-point lead over Balderson, the Republican. So that's a one-point lead in the very best of circumstances right now. O'Connor the Democrat, trailed in this uh, particular model by seven points just uh, one month ago. So this is very tight. However, it is very doable. Monmouth notes that none of the leads in any of these uh, likely voter models is actually statistically significant. So this all comes down, or at least should all come down, to who turns out to vote on Tuesday. Independent voters are a key factor, they note, in the shift in polling since last month. Many have moved from being undecided to favoring the Democrat in this race. Currently, independents prefer O'Connor over Balderson um, by 14 points. However, 17 percent are undecided. So 17 uh, percent of independents don't know which way they're going. And I guess that's who I'm talking to today. Those 17 uh, percent of the independents. And I'm talking to the uh, the Democrats who haven't uh, decided or may not even realize that there's a race going on in uh, Columbus, Ohio, that will determine uh, one seat, will determine whether one seat flips from red to blue uh, next week. Former incumbent. Pat Tabiri had won the Ohio 12 seat by between 27 and 40 points in his last three election bids. He's now uh, resigned. The margins have been tighter for Republican uh, presidential candidates in this area. But uh, both Trump in 2016 and Mitt Romney in 2012, they took the district by approximately 10 points. So that's how much things have changed in the 12th district at the moment. O'Connor, the Democrat, does the best in his home region, holding a 54 to 36 percent lead among Franklin County voters who make up nearly one third of uh, of the electorate in the Ohio uh, 12th district. 
And it won't be easy there in Franklin because they use 100% unverifiable touchscreen voting systems. In fact, they use the infamous iVotronic made by ESNS, which has failed voters in one election after another after another, which you would know if you listen to the Bradcast or the Bradblog or read Bradblog.com for any amount of time. Um, but So that's Franklin County. Unfortunately, the other counties in Ohio's 12th district, and there's a bunch of them, Delaware, Morrow, Licking, Marion, Muskingum, and uh, Richland, they all also use unverifiable touchscreen voting systems made by either uh, ESNS or Diebold. So they are no better. So, yeah, this is... Uh, this is going to be, uh, it occurs to me, like uh, Luke Skywalker. Okay, how? Uh, what, you got one shot. You got this tiny opening to destroy the Death Star next Tuesday. It will not be easy. It's going to be very close. All the odds are stacked against you. But it can be done. There will be no do-overs or meaningful recounts because of the crappy uh, voting system they make uh, most voters use in this uh, in the 12th district. But if you're in Ohio and if you're within the sound of my voice, you can make the difference on Tuesday. You can hit that tiny little, uh, one, what is it, one foot by one foot square, whatever it was that Luke Skywalker had to hit. In Star Wars. In Star <laughs> you Wars. Know what we're talking about. You can make that difference on Tuesday. It will not take all that many votes to flip this long-held uh, Republican seat to a Democratic seat. And then, by the way, you all can focus on making that, scene, uh, that seat greener or more progressive as we move forward once we have put the brakes at least a little bit on this ongoing national emergency. But it will require everybody to turn out. So check your registration. Remind your friends and your family to check their registration. Make sure they've got what they need. Be a friend. Friends don't let friends forget elections. <laughs> Speaking of our national emergency, uh, President Donald Trump has directed, quote, a vast government-wide effort to protect American elections. After Russian attempts to interfere in 2016, the White House claimed on Thursday attempting to make a big show of their uh, of their interest in protecting elections in 2018 and 2020. It's a fun show. They were parading out all kinds of national security officials uh, responding to bipartisan criticism that the White House has no clear national strategy to protect the country during the upcoming midterms and beyond. John Bolton, the national security advisor, wrote a uh, in a letter to Senate Democrats that, quote, President Trump has not and will not tolerate interference in America's system of representative government. The warning to American adversaries came as top U.S. intelligence and homeland security officials raised alarms about potential efforts to influence the 2018 and 2020 elections. They were all trotted out today at the White House, uh, including Homeland Security Chief Kirsten Nielsen. Here's a little bit of what she had to say. Our democracy itself is in the crosshairs. Free and fair elections are the cornerstone of our democracy, and it has become clear that they are the target of our adversaries. Well, that's nice of her to say. Uh, today at the White House, she wasn't the only one. Director of National Intelligence Dan Coats said, quote, we continue to see a pervasive messaging campaign by Russia to try to weaken and divide the United States. 
Their comments, uh, according to AP, come uh, during a White House briefing following weeks uh, after uh, just a couple weeks after Trump had publicly undermined the conclusion of American intelligence agencies regarding Russian interference in the 2016 election and in potentially the one coming up right now. Uh, After suffering a bipartisan outcry, Trump later said after uh, his uh, joint press conference with uh, Vladimir Putin in Helsinki about two weeks ago, Trump later said that he accepted those conclusions after all. But then, as you will recall, he quickly backed off of that, reversed his position again in the days that followed. Those officials, along with National Security Agency Director uh, General Paul Nakasone and FBI Director Christopher Wray, appeared at the White House on Thursday to try to reassure the American people that they are doing everything in their power to address the threat. Coates said, quote, we are throwing everything at it. Everything? Okay, good. Have you heard any of them instruct states to offer a hand-counted paper ballot to every voter since that's what all voting systems experts say are the absolute safest way to protect the integrity of our elections? Have you heard any of the folks at the White House instruct states and counties and towns to hand-count those hand-marked paper ballots publicly so we can try to assure everyone that, in fact, the results are recorded as per voter intent, because I have not heard them say that, despite what Dan Coates says about throwing everything at it to protect our elections. I haven't heard them say that. So far, all of those states and counties and cities are all planning to use computer tabulators and just hope for the best and somehow... Uh, assure the, uh, the, the the public, even if nobody knows for sure, that the results on the from those computers that are spit out by those computers, that they will somehow reflect the will of the voters. Well, that might work. Telling everyone that we're throwing everything at it and then hoping for the best. Nielsen, Ray, and Nakasani had uh, all gathered earlier this week in New York City for a cybersecurity summit where they had spoken about the urgent need for a collective, collaborative approach to security. At the event, DHS Secretary Nielsen said that the cyber threat that now exceeds, uh, I'm sorry, the cyber threat facing this nation now exceeds the danger of a physical attack against the U.S. by a foreign hostile group. But oddly enough, that message does not seem to have gotten to their Republican colleagues in Congress. Asked this week how confident that he was in the integrity of election systems ahead of the fall midterms. The number two Republican in the Senate, Senator John Cornyn of Texas, where, by the way, they use tons of 100 percent unverifiable electronic voting systems. Cornyn said, quote, I'm confident we're doing the best we can. Are you confident, John? Uh, Because you didn't vote that way. You didn't vote to do the best that you could uh, in the U.S. Senate yesterday, John. I'm sorry, Mr. Senator. Uh, Neither did any of your Republican colleagues, with the exception of just one. Uh, As The Hill notes, senators on Wednesday rejected a Democratic proposal to provide states with more election security funding ahead of the 2018 midterm elections. Senators voted 50 to 47 against. Poor reporting, by the way, from Jordan Carney at the Hill there. Um, 
they voted 50 to 47 in favor of adding an amendment from Senator Patrick Leahy, Democrat from Vermont, that would have provided this uh, new funding, but 60 votes were needed to include the uh, proposal in the appropriations legislation under Senate rules. So, um, and all but one Republican senator voted against the measure, while all Democratic senators voted in favor of the measure. So it actually um, got a majority, 50-47 uh, got a majority of votes, but it failed to get the 60 that it needed. Thanks to John Cornyn and a couple of other Republican senators. All, all of the Republican senators, other than Tennessee Senator uh, uh, Republican Senator Bob Corker, who is outgoing. Uh, this, he'll be done in just a few months. He was the only GOP senator who voted in support of this amendment. Um, We don't know if outgoing Arizona Senator Jeff Flake might have voted for it because he's still in Africa, as we reported yesterday, where he may be now for weeks. And Arizona's other U.S. Senator, John McCain, he's still in Arizona battling cancer. Uh, But Senator John Cornyn of Texas, who told folks today that he is, quote, confident we're doing the best we can. He voted against this $250 million proposal that was spearheaded by Senator Leahy to provide $250 million more for state election security grants between now and November. Republicans argue more funding, however, is not needed and that states have uh, not yet spent the $380 million that was previously approved by Congress. That part is true. Uh, A lot of that money is still unspent by uh, all of the states. Republican uh, Senator James Langford from Oklahoma said it was far too early for the Senate to sign off on more money. Leahy fired back by saying the lights are blinking red and Congress should approve more money before the election. Leahy was quoting Trump's director of national intelligence, Dan Coats. That's Indiana's former Republican senator. Dan Coats, who had uh, warned recently about exactly that. It was in the months prior to September 2001 when, according to then CIA director George Tenet, the system was blinking red. And here we are two decades, nearly two decades later, and I'm here to say the warning lights are blinking red again. Again. That was uh, Republican uh, Director of National Donald Trump's Republican Director of National Intelligence, Dan Coats, uh, warning just about two weeks ago that all the warning signs are uh, blinking red just like they were before 9-11 back in 2001. And yet, eh, well, we don't want to take too much action. It's far too early, says uh, Senator Langford of, of Oklahoma. Senator Leahy went on to add in support of his amendment that the president, quote, the president is not going to act. The duty has fallen to us. Let's not, after an election, find out that this country was defenseless against the tax from Russia and say, oh, gosh, we should have done something. The uh, measure failed, however, for lack of support from those Republicans. As you have heard, they are doing the best they can. In a press release after the vote, Leahy said the integrity of our election should not be a partisan issue. It is unfortunate that the Senate has followed the same path as House Republicans in blocking the funding our states need to upgrade their infrastructure and secure our elections. Well, 
It's not like they're doing nothing at all. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell warned during a radio interview late last week that there would be, quote, serious consequences if the Russians tried to intervene in the 2018 congressional election. But there has already been such an intervention, at least if you believe U.S. uh, security officials, intelligence officials. There has already uh, been such an intervention. And what did McConnell do? Where are those serious consequences? The uh, the Daily Beast reported on Thursday that Russian intelligence agents have targeted Senator Claire McCaskill, Democrat from Missouri, with an attempted breach ahead of this November's elections. And oddly enough, Mitch McConnell has yet to announce any serious consequences for that action for some reason, despite an alleged attack on McCaskill, who is... By the way, one of the most vulnerable Democratic senators running for re-election in a so-called red state this year in Missouri. In a statement from California's Democratic Secretary of State uh, sent to us today after the failure to pass that $250 million measure, Secretary Alex, uh, Alex Padilla in California said, quote, intelligence officials have been crystal clear our democracy is and will continue to be under attack by Russia and others. Thank you for including that. Mr. Secretary, Trump has chosen to ignore these warnings, so it's up to Congress to act. He says, I'm incredibly disappointed that Senate Republicans voted against $250 million for states to further upgrade and protect voting systems. He says improving election security should not be a partisan issue. Yesterday, Congress finalized a $717 billion defense spending bill. Yet they could not come together to fund voting systems at a fraction of the cost, just $250 million. $717 billion? No problem. But $250 million, uh, we, we just can't afford that. He says bolstering our election infrastructure is a matter of national security. Well, they're doing their best, Mr. Secretary. You heard John Cornyn say so. And there will be serious consequences if anything happens. You heard Mitch McConnell say so. Just like those serious consequences after the 2016 election, when Republicans blocked the hand counting of hand marked paper ballots in three states, in Wisconsin and Michigan and Pennsylvania, those states that were largely responsible for Trump's very narrow reported but not confirmed, not verified win, uh, which was said to have been aided by Russian interference. But here's the thing. We are not going to be protected by Congress or the White House, no matter who is in charge of either. The government is not going to save us here. We are going to save us here. We are the only chance that we have. In fact, I don't uh, entirely agree with the notion that we need to throw more money at this problem right now. But that seems to be the only idea that most elected officials and intelligence officials and election officials seem to have is more money for upgraded computers, many of which will have the exact same problems of the voting systems and the tabulation systems that we currently use. I don't think we necessarily need to throw money at the problem. I think we need to throw people at the problem, the public. These are our elections, after all. Are we going to overcome this issue or are we going to sit around and pout because others aren't doing enough? 
This is up to us, if you haven't noticed. This means fighting like hell to register to vote and to help everyone else you know register to vote. It means making sure that your registration is accurate. If you haven't checked it lately, you might want to do that. Make sure you haven't been somehow removed from the rolls entirely before November 6th. That means pushing election officials to allow every voter to vote on a hand-marked paper ballot. Since every jurisdiction uh, in the country has such a system that it already uses for absentee voting. As we discussed uh, with Marilyn Marks regarding Georgia on a broadcast earlier this week. That's true everywhere. That means fighting like hell to make sure that you cast your vote on a hand-marked paper ballot, even if that means you have to vote via an absentee ballot that you hopefully deliver in person to your precinct on Election Day. That means fighting like hell to make sure that all ballots are tabulated publicly, if possible, by human beings, which also means volunteering to be a poll worker or a poll observer and or showing up at your precinct on election night as the polls close to take photos of those little computer tapes that are printed out by the by the computer tabulators just in case numbers for some reason happen to change between election day and the night the time they're printed out on election night. Uh, until those votes are, are uh, reported at uh, from the central headquarters. This is the stuff that we talk about every day here. And you need to be talking about it to everyone you know, and you need to be working on it as well. Just listening is not enough. You need to, to, to share this information, share our broadcasts, share the news from bradblog.com if you like. But you guys listen to me enough. You guys know this stuff. You guys can tell this to your friends, your families, your neighbors. The government is not going to save us. We are going to save us. We are the only option that we have, it seems. As the old saying goes, we are the ones we have been waiting for. No more waiting. Let's get to work, people. Quick break, and we're back with more on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't go away. Hi, this is Desi Doyen from the Green News Report and the broadcast. What the public hears on the public airwaves matters. At the broadcast, we do our best to bring you accurate news and analysis on the issues that actually matter. And we do it all independently, without corporate or political influence. But we can't do it without you, now more than ever. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Trying to breathe. Doing my best. As a matter of fact, I wasn't even going to talk about voting at all today. And then uh, the uh, you had all of these White House officials uh, coming out and pretending that they're 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 taking care of these concerns or taking care of these problems. You had this this vote in the U.S. Senate yesterday where Republicans were pretending like they care and then voting the other direction. So. Yeah, I guess we're going to be talking about this a little bit between now and November. Well, it does kind of matter a little bit. Yeah. 
between now and November and between now and the past 15 years that I've been saying these same goddamn things. <laughs> you know, Frank Luntz, anyway. Frank Luntz, GOP yes. pollster, strategist, etc. dude says you have to keep repeating it over and over and over again. And by the time you're sick of repeating it, that's when the American public first is hearing about it. Well, so, yeah. uh, then they must have first been hearing about it about 10 years ago because I've been <laughs> sick of it since then. All right. Uh, speaking of uh, stuff we've already talked about, we warned you about this uh, a week or so ago in some detail, but now it is officially underway. Uh, the Trump administration on Thursday proposed weakening Obama-era automobile mileage standards designed to make cars more fuel-efficient and less polluting, a major rollback which is already being challenged in the courts by California and more than a dozen other states. The administration also served notice today that it wants to revoke states' long-standing authority to set their own stricter mileage standards because... States' rights, am I right, Republicans? Or is that only when you want to have, uh, when you want those states to have states' rights? Only when it's uh, something that you give a damn about. Actual states' rights, they don't care so much. The administration is arguing that easing requirements that cars be more fuel efficient should make them both cheaper and safer. Safer, they're arguing, because it means it's cheaper to get a new car with uh, better safety features. That's the theory. Not many folks are buying it. Transportation experts question the reasoning behind the proposal. The proposal would freeze U.S. mileage standards at the uh, 2020 requirement uh, levels. Uh, where they were already set to to be for 2020, when the new vehicle fleet will be required to hit an average of 30 miles per gallon. California Governor Jerry Brown on Thursday called the Trump administration's proposal, quote, an assault on the health of Americans everywhere under his reckless scheme. Motorists will pay more at the pump, get worse gas mileage and breathe dirtier air. California will fight this stupidity in every conceivable way possible, said Governor Brown. The Obama administration had planned to keep toughening fuel requirements through 2026, which they would have uh, which they had worked with uh, California and automakers to come to an agreement in doing already, saying that uh, those and other regulations on vehicles would save 40,000 40, lives annually thanks to cleaner air. That's 40,000 Americans right. who get to live. Because of cleaner air. Uh, and by the way, it's not just the Obama administration. The uh, current EPA, the argument about saving 40,000 lives annually. Every year. That is on the EPA's website today. Still hasn't been taken down. Nonetheless, according to Trump administration estimates, the Obama fuel efficiency standards would raise the price of uh, vehicles by about $2,300, and that would price many buyers out of the new vehicle market, forcing them to drive older, less safe vehicles that pollute more, according to the administration. This uh, freeze, according to Heidi King, the deputy administrator of the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration now, uh, says that uh, freezing the mileage standards where they are right now and not going any further, that that would save 
a thousand uh, that would reduce highway deaths by one thousand per year by reducing the barriers that prevent consumers from getting newer, safer, cleaner, more fuel efficient cars. And again, transportation experts say, no, that's actually not the case. Well, uh, even if it is the case, even taking them at their word here. And I don't know this Heidi King, I, deputy administrator. I suspect she's a, a, a Trumper. Um, but uh, taking them at their word, a thousand people could be saved per year by putting a halt on this uh, on this uh, agreement that the Obama administration and California and the automakers had come to. So we could save a thousand people a, a year versus saving. 40,000 people a year thanks to the cleaner air that higher mileage cars would afford the nation. So even if you buy their stupid argument, the cost benefit, the 39,000 yes. people. Yes, I know. It's it's uh, it's ridiculous and stupid. And the idea that, OK, it, sure, that makes sense that, hey, it makes it cheaper to buy a new car. Twenty three hundred dollars or so was the average estimate that mm -hmm. the uh, that the Transportation Administration put out. But over the life of the car. The EPA's own estimates yep. and the estimates of the Union of Concerned Scientists and other estimates of other outside experts say that it will cost another three thousand to six thousand dollars per car over the life of the car just because the of the gas. The, the, uh, the just amount. because of the increased fuel yeah. costs. So, yes, it will help to make it cheaper to buy in the first place, but it will not make it cheaper in the long run. It will cost consumers way more money and it will also increase the amount of gasoline that we have to use and uh, and it will also increase the emissions that go out into the air and mm -hmm. make climate change even worse the nrdc the national um what is it uh, the national Nat resources Def natural resources natural defense thank council. you a natural resources defense council says that uh, the ill-advised trump administration move to roll back clean car and fuel economy standards could cost u.s consumers $170 billion more at the pump. So $170 billion more at the pump, uh, thousands more you know, per person in each vehicle, and yet they're claiming that, uh, well, you'll save money on a new vehicle. This It just doesn't add up. The NRDC also says that this jeopardizes 300,000 clean energy jobs and undercuts standards that are reducing harmful air pollutants according to uh, the uh, experts from the NRDC. So uh, the administration uh, is now uh, freezing the mileage standards or planning to or hopes to or wants to. They are proposing to do so, but this is not a done deal. They have opened this up to the public to ring in the public comment period. Uh, let's pretend they're going to pay attention to these public comments. Uh, and they might, by the way, because this is all going to be in court. So you know, th this is already being challenged by California and others. And if they're able to point to, hey, we had millions and millions of people saying, don't change this regulation that was already in place. Look, we had all of these millions saying it and we had 10 people saying they'd like to uh, kill the it was the, so they can point to this. So this your comments here could make a difference. Uh, where do Desi Doyen, where do we go to ring in on uh, this regulation, this proposed 
change in regulations? Uh, the public comment period is now open at regulations.gov. That's regulations.gov. It is hard to find. I just tried to look for it. They may make it a little bit easier to find, but in case they don't, we are going to link to it at the blog item for this today's show. But you will need to go to regulations.gov and look for a rulemaking on uh, mm-hmm. light on light trucks and cars. And to be clear, the regulations.gov, that's not hard to find. What's hard to find right. is this specific rule once you get to regulations.gov. Right. The, it's a, the docket EPA HQ OAR 2018-0283 yeah. for the specific Good number luck. for those of you who can do that. And I just want to add yeah. one more thing, mm-hmm. very important. Remember, this was also to reduce emissions, California's specific regulations to reduce emissions that contribute to climate change. Transportation is the largest source of greenhouse gas gas emissions in the United States now. The biggest share of emissions comes from cars and trucks. So by rolling back these rules, if this goes through and if it stands up in court, this will be the equivalent of adding 30 new coal plants. By 2035, the impact could be larger than the total national emissions of 82% of countries today. By 2035... Well, let, me, let, me, let me hear that again. So 82%... Uh, yes. Uh, the, the, the equivalent, we are allowing the equivalent of 82... Uh, percent of countries, their total emissions... Their total emissions. Just from us not putting through this emissions With regulation. With this specific uh, change from where we had been going, where we right. had regulations in place that were agreed upon, that the uh, previous administration agreed upon, that the state of California agreed upon, that all of the other states who follow California's emission standards agreed upon, and the automakers also agreed upon. Right, and this will... If it goes through, again, this agreement getting rolled back, our own U.S. transportation emissions will be 11 percent higher than they would have been otherwise by 2035. One other point I want to uh, make here before we take a break, um, because this is important. The other aspect of this is that they are challenging the idea that California and any other state actually has the right to determine these things on their own, even though we and other states have had that right for about 50 years under the Clean Air Act. We have the, our own right out here in California to set our own mileage standards to uh, combat what had been a chronic smog problem and still is. More than a dozen other states follow the same standards that California puts in place. Representing about a third of the U.S. car market. And uh, it's it's costly as AP notes, it's costly for companies to design and build vehicles for California and states that follow its rules and a different set of designs for the rest of the country. But here's an idea, automakers. Don't do that. Just, uh, you know, uh, make all the cars the same as far as uh, design specification goes. Just because California has uh, certain things in place doesn't mean you have to give crappier standards to all of the other states course they know that um and i don't know whether donald trump knows about it or not but he doesn't care 
And remember, uh, yeah. remember, yeah. now is the time to speak up. There's only 60 days to make your public comment known at regulations.gov. We do ask a lot of our listeners, we don't do, we? We do, but you know what? It's it's time. It's time to get up and fight. It's long past time. Simon uh, Mui, the California lead for clean cars at NRDC, reminds us uh, today California's devastating wildfires show the state has a compelling and extraordinary need to safeguard its air and fight the devastating effects of climate change. He argues this proposal reads like a bad script in which we're forced to imagine states aren't being harmed by bad air quality and climate change hasn't exacerbated fatal heat waves and wildfires. If you have any question about that, they will be answered right after this break. In our latest Green News Report with Desi Doyen, I'm Brad Friedman. This is the Bradcast. Hey, this is Brad. If you haven't noticed by now, it's no easy feat finding facts, real facts, not alternative facts, over your public airwaves. We try to bring you real facts, truth, and clarity without fear or favor each and every day on the broadcast. But we need your help to do it, and that help is needed more now than ever. Please stop by bradblog.com donate today. That's bradblog.com donate and thanks. Hey, Desi Doyen, don't you wish that um, one of these times it would uh, you'd sit down for a Green News report and you would go, boy, we really got nothing to cover today. <laughs> I have to reach for something to find something to to talk about on the Green News Report. Yeah, I do wish for those days, but nice. uh, yeah, they don't exist. They don't, not anymore, not anymore. I don't know if they ever did. Uh, but anyway, all right, let's get to it. Our latest Green News Report. It was easily the warmest non-El Nino year on record. 2017 shattered another global heat record. The so-called car fire has burned nearly 150 square miles. Firefighters begin to gain ground against deadly California wildfires. Global heat wave continues to rage across northern hemisphere. Plus, 21 kids across the nation are seeking to end the use of fossil fuels contributing to global warming. And they want to hold the federal government accountable for it. U.S. Supreme Court rules that climate kids will have their day in court. All of those rulings and more straight ahead from Bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. We have to keep the icebergs from melting. My solution, we give every iceberg a desk job, right? Because American offices always have the air conditioning on way too high. Nothing can melt in there. Not this office. It's sweltering here. This is your Green News Report. Even the iceberg would be like, oh, does anyone have a jacket I can borrow, please? Okay, Desi Doyen, we're in Los Angeles. We don't need no stinking air conditioning out here. 
Or at least that used to be the case. Yep, it's a little bit too hot for my tastes, yep. but the rest of the world is getting warmer, too. 2017 has now gone down in the record books as the third warmest year ever recorded globally. That's according to the massive annual State of the Climate report released on Wednesday by the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration and the American Meteorological Society. According to NOAA climate scientist Deke Arndt in a press call, what is remarkable is that 2017 2017 came in as the third warmest year without an El Nino to boost global temperatures. It was easily the warmest non-El Nino year on record. And the last four years, 14, 15, 16, and 17, are the, the four warmest years on record and substantially warmer than the previous, kind of establishing a new new neighborhood in, in terms of global temperature. And 2017 reinforced, reinforced that. So in years that didn't include an El Nino... 2017 was by far the warmest. Yes. And Noah also found that greenhouse gases in the atmosphere in 2017 reached the highest levels ever recorded. Ocean temperatures were the highest on record, and rising sea levels also hit a new high. NOAA oceanographer Gregory Johnson warned that higher sea levels are now baked in even if humanity stopped releasing greenhouse gases today. I sort of think of the oceans like uh, a freight train. And that freight train is now moving, uh, and actually it will, it will continue to move. Um, so if we were to freeze greenhouse gases at the level they are today, um, the oceans would continue to warm and seas continue to rise for centuries to millennia because of the uh, majestic timescale of the ocean circulation. Not good. Nope, not good at all. And so far, 2018 is on track to be the fourth hottest year on record. And the impacts of global warming continue to pile up. In Northern California, firefighters are gaining ground on the car fire near the city of Redding. It now ranks as the seventh most destructive fire in California state history, burning more than 150 square miles. It's also just one of 17 major fires burning in the state that combined have destroyed more than 1,000 homes and killed at least eight people. New blazes are erupting elsewhere in California and across the western U.S., amid a sustained heat wave and high winds. And it should be noted, we're not even anywhere close to the peak of fire season. That doesn't happen until uh, usually late September uh, or October. Yeah, but you know, fire season in California is pretty much year-round now. It is now, yep. But some good news, Oregon's state Supreme Court has handed a major victory to Portland, upholding a city ordinance that restricts fossil fuel infrastructure, one of the strongest measures in the nation. The ordinance limits the size and number of fossil fuel export terminals and storage facilities within city limits in order to reduce the impacts of air and water pollution. Business groups sued to block the ordinance, but the court affirmed Portland's constitutional right to limit and even prohibit new fossil fuel infrastructure. Well done, Portland. Finally, the United States Supreme Court this week has ruled that kids suing the U.S. government over climate change can go to trial. The nation's highest court unanimously rejected an attempt by the Trump administration to dismiss the lawsuit brought by 21 children and young adults and the nonprofit environmental group Our Children's Trust. The kids are suing to force the federal government to act on climate change change, arguing that failure to do so violates their constitutional rights to life, liberty, and property, quote, as enshrined in the Due Process Clause of the Fifth Amendment. While the court sounded a note of caution over the breadth of the lawsuit, the justices nevertheless will allow the children and their lawsuit to have their day in court. Well done, kids. 
And thank you for saving us all. For much more on all of these stories and the ones we couldn't get to, check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. Find us, follow us, and share us worldwide on the Facebooks and the Twitters at Green News Report. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. And this has been your Green News Report. The kids are all right. The kids are all right. Are they going to save us? Are They're the gonna kids going to save us? They're going to try. They're the ones that are going to have to live with this. Yeah. Well, this world that we're creating right yeah. now. And that we're all already living with. Um, this is. Uh, oh, it, and is it's going to get worse, by the way. So, yeah. We're already creating it. Don't look it. so happy we're about all, that. No, don't I'm not you, happy. You a gleam in your eye. As I would you're... love to be wrong about all of this. I would love it if climate scientists were wrong about all of this. Unfortunately, I don't think they are. Yeah, I don't think so either. Uh, and listen, I know how you feel. Uh, I would love to be wrong about all the stuff that I've been warning about concerning elections for yeah. so many years. I am sick to death of talking about it. Uh, and of course, now that I'm sick to death of talking uh, uh, talking about it, everyone else is talking about it. So we're back to talking about it uh, because we're still not actually doing anything about it, although that's not true. I should say uh, some of us are uh, doing something about it. Nancy B., a reader and uh, listener, she had uh, donated to bradblog.com slash donate. Thank you very much, Nancy. And I responded uh, with a uh, a thank you note to which she responded to say, Hi, Brad. FYI, 10 years ago, I became an election judge and now a head election judge because of your blog. Thanks for inspiring me. Awesome. <laughs> that's, so see? that's inspiring to hear. So someone's listening. We, uh, we, we do make a difference, I hope. Uh, Eric J. from Twin Cities, Minnesota, says, uh, Brad just signed up for a monthly contribution after oh, wow. thinking about how best to impact our political future with my limited dollars. We need progressive media voices like yours on the air. Keep pushing back on wealthy Big name, right wing media baloney. You and Desi are heroes. Oh, man. Thank you. Uh, And let's see one more uh, from Dorothy B, who sent in a snail mail donation along with a very nice card on which she writes, Dear Brad and Desi, I can't thank you enough for all you do. Your voices help me to stay enlightened and grounded. Well, thank you very much, uh, Dorothy. Your support and very kind words help us do the same. And uh, we need it. As much as you do these days, the idea of staying grounded in particular. So thank you for that. Uh, all right. Thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen, to uh, all of you who spend uh, a portion of your day or night listening to our program and sharing it. You can download it if you missed any portion. Download it anytime at bradblog.com. You can also drop me email. I am bradcast at bradblog.com. You can find me and follow me and uh, tweet at me on the Facebooks and the Twitters at the Bradblog. And, of course, my thanks to those of you who uh, sign up for a monthly or even one-time donation at bradblog.com slash donate. You're the ones keeping us uh, at this, so thank you for that. All right, that's it. Until we meet again, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.